Today's episode of Pot on the Hill is brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Australia's leading social justice law firm, championing the rights of everyday Australians since 1919. To find out more, visit morrisblackburn.com.au. Remember, Pot on the Hill is available every week on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or your favourite podcast app. And if you have any questions to ask of Conrad, Stephen or myself, suggestions or inquiries, email us at podcast at vic.alp.org.au. The Victorian state election is underway and Labor is campaigning hard to re-elect the Daniel Andrews Labor government. Our field organisers are now organising in communities across regional Victoria and Metro Melbourne. And to get involved in our grassroots campaign and join other volunteers in Labor's Community Action Network, sign up at thisislabor.org. In this campaign, we're also seeing the biggest mobilisation of Labor women across the state for the Vote for Women campaign. The Community Action Network is building our campaign with young parents at family-friendly times for parents and kids. Join at thisislabor.org slash find-an-event and find the Women's Organising Network icon and you'll see every event going on in the state and be able to search for it by your neighbourhood. Uh, we're joined today by Natalie Hutchins for her return visit to the relocated recording studio, which is a travelling show at the moment as we approach the November 24 election, the big push. Uh, she's got a bit on her plate, member for Sydenham. Uh, with its own local campaign, but also Minister for Women, Minister for Industrial Relations, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs and Minister for the Prevention of Family Violence. Uh, but first we're going to set the mood with the Whitlams. Little song about a man called Gough and a little boy who wanted to be tarred with the same brush Natalie Hutchins, welcome back to Pot on the Hill. Thanks for having me. I can't believe I got asked a second time. <laughs> well, I should mention that you're you're here also as part of our uh, election series. So we're actually talking to uh, to some of our main leaders in the government as we go towards November 24. So you know you're here to talk all things campaign with That's us. That's it. Yeah. Um, now we've um, we've got you back to give us a bit of that election time update on the great things being done in your portfolio areas of responsibility, and we're going to go through each of those. Um, but we also want to hear about what you think is important and what's at stake in this election. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there is. Um, so number one, let's talk about a major portfolio responsibility that you have as the Minister for the Prevention of Family Violence. Um, there's no one in Australia doing more to address family violence in this government, and therefore you're a key leader of this response. Um, family violence is now a part of the national psyche in a way that I reckon it hasn't been uh, even just a few years ago. So let's start by talking about what you see as the scale of that issue and, and tell us what is the government's response. Well, we've had, we know from all the research that there's been um, under-reporting for many years now, and whilst the statistics are still absolutely shocking. Uh, last financial year we had uh, 75,000 plus incidences reported to police. That was um, that was an increase um, from the few years before but the, the good thing is is that people and women in particular are reporting these incidences and coming uh, forward. We're also seeing um, more sexual assault reporting happening as well through the police. And I think that's because of the discussions that we're having around trying to prevent family violence, about calling it out, and also the Me Too movement in, in regards to sexual harassment and sexual assault means that um, women are more confident to come forward now that something's going to happen, something's going to change, and that there's an option for justice there. So what do you think the origins of that slight shift, or maybe, maybe more than a slight shift, yep. 
Um, but what do you think the origins of that shift are that have, have made it now something that is being talked about at a national level? Uh, I think um, gender equity and gender equality are the two key things. Um, definitely uh, knowing that at the heart of family violence and violence against women uh, is a disrespect for women is at the core of it, you know. People make assumptions and have done for many years that um, violence in the home is uh, restricted to lower socioeconomic or certain um, ethnicities or religions, but the reality is is that it cuts across the board on, it doesn't matter how much you earn or what language you speak, it cuts across the board as as an issue in our society. And the core common denominator in these incidences is a lack of respect for women. So really um, scaling up uh, the conversation in community, getting behind advertising campaigns, but also having a Royal Commission, as we did into the uh, issues of family violence and committing to getting on with the implementation of the 227 recommendations means that we've had a lot of change, a lot of discussion happening out in community. And we know that the advertising that we've been doing as a government um, called Respect, Respect Women Call It Out, that campaign is really resonating in the community. So tell us about the the response to the recommendations. Not all two hundred and twenty-seven of them. Two hundred and twenty-seven of them. I didn't. Is that what you said? Yeah, two hundred and twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Not all of those, but um, maybe, maybe um, uh, just you know what what kind of um, of you know work that has been and what what's gone into that, you know, just from an operational. Yeah, and we've had a a full uh, whole-of-government response. So our Special Minister of State has been in charge of implementing the changes that are needed to the services that women uh, and children are receiving in order to flee family violence um, and report it. Of course, our Police Minister's played a huge role as well um, in working with the Commissioner to ensure all our police are getting specific training in this area, but also new uh, options to interview um, victims and perpetrators so that they don't have to come across each other in a police station and also extending that out to the courts. So our Attorney General Martin Bakula has done a power of work in um, working with the head of um, the magistrates to ensure that our magistrates courts are suitable now for um, people to seek AVO orders and to seek justice. So there's multi layers of change happening out of this and, and for me my focus has been around how do we prevent it, how do we stop it, how do we turn around those reporting figures and stop one woman a week um, dying at the hands of a partner or former partner uh, in Australia and unfortunately just even at the start of this month, uh, early October, we had five women killed in six days nationally, uh, two of those in Victoria, really horrific murders and um, you know it, it's basically a blip on the screen still mm-hmm. uh, in our daily media and there's so much more we need to do to really call out the crisis that it is. Um, and part of that is to start to change the behaviour and, and have it out in the media and make no mistake about it, it is our number one crime issue. Um, and interestingly, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm transported back in time, probably nearly, nearly 20 years I think it was when I had a conversation with a mate who, a former mate who was a police officer and he had, he'd said, um, you know, most of my job seems to be taken up with just going to or what he called domestic violence cases, um, but he didn't he didn't say it as though it was a critical part of his job. He actually made it sound like it was sort of the the footnote 
of his job and the, the biggest time waster. And I'm, I'm not sure how, I mean, that was obviously a, a, you know, a cultural perspective that he had at that time in his job about, about how, how is it a crime issue now uh, in a way that it wasn't then. It was sort of seen as being an, almost off the books yeah, I'm proud to say our police have changed a lot. Oh, absolutely. As a, this yeah, 20, 20, 20 years, years ago, ago, yeah, and they've changed a lot in their attitude. And, in fact, I was at a, a briefing with our local police the other night um, out in my electorate, and one of the officers said that it takes up 90% of his time of his work, and I nearly fell off my chair. I was just I couldn't believe that it was that time-consuming in terms of the call-outs that he was dealing with, and it unfortunately is the reality, particularly in the outer suburbs where we've got social isolation, particularly in your estates, um, and we've got to make sure that people feel connected and protected and, and safe. It's, it's the biggest challenge that um, I face in my job is how every day, how do we make women and children safer? Now, a couple of days ago, you were in Macedon um, uh, making an announcement related to family violence. Tell, tell us about those those announcements that you've been making along the along the trail. Yeah, I'm really pleased to be um, working with local governments all over the state to impl implement some prevention strategies because we know this is not just a state government issue. It's not just federal government. Um, it's everywhere. It's our communities, and we know that local government connects in. Um, pretty well with local communities. They've got the um, community centres, maternal and child health centres, and we know that women are most at risk um, of serious harm or death in leaving a situation of family violence um, upon the days of leaving and also the other high-risk areas uh, in the few weeks after a baby is born, particularly the first um, baby in the family. So local councils play a really important role in keeping connected in both of those. So um, I was really happy to be in Macedon where we met with a range of service providers in this area, local police, and also um, high school, uh, secondary school leaders as well, the principals of um, some schools up there who were saying it's something they deal with on a regular basis. So. Uh, we're pleased to announce some funding that went directly to um, some campaigns that a range of councils are running. Macedon uh, ranges with uh, 180000 to fund um, a program to keep women and children safe in the, in the local areas. And also Mirable Council with $57,000 for them to do some cultural change with their own workforce and leaders in the community, particularly in local sports clubs. And also Hepburn Shire Council, who received a grant of $28,000, who are going to do some really good work with um, targeting new parents uh, in their community and also promoting uh, women into leadership roles across their council, which is a, a great thing because we know in turning around the disrespect that exists for women, um, it's about building respect for women and, and having women in leadership roles uh, at community levels is a really important part of that. And, and when you say when you when you give us information like the the, the most at risk times is soon after a first baby is born. Yep. The that that is a, a devastating fact because most of the time that's that's supposed to be a time of absolute you know joy, joy yeah. and and you know difficult adjustment, but but nothing so um, horrifying. So um, it you know the the work that you're doing, uh, I think the whole. Um, the whole party certainly, but also you know progressive um, people everywhere would be applauding the work you're doing because um, that's that's not a reality anyone wants to live with. 
No, and unfortunately, you know, we get a bit overwhelmed when a murder does happen. I was down at Phillip Island pretty quickly after the murder of Samantha Fraser, meeting with a the community there who were really adamant that enough is enough and literally taking to the streets um, and, uh, and having a, a presence, but wanting to undertake a campaign of how they could prevent this from happening again. I think a lot of people were shocked that it happened in their backyard, in a sense. And the realities are it's happening in so many um, small areas, mm. you know, geographical areas and in and, and our little towns and our little communities. And quite often we're shocked when we find out that family violence is going on um, with somebody we know. But the truth is the stats show that we probably all know somebody that's um, been touched by family violence, mm. whether it's when they were a kid um, and the effects on them or them as a partner now. And is it is it disappearing as a taboo, something that we can't talk about anymore? Is there still that that issue of not wanting to talk about it and sweep it away? And... Oh, no, I think that's changing um, and that's why we're getting more reporting. I think the, the steps that we've taken as a government to support respectful relationship programs in our schools has been um, fabulous. I was lucky enough to go to a, a parents' meeting at one of the schools in my area and on a cold Monday night, 200 parents turned up to have the conversation about how they could help um, turn around the stats locally on family violence and people there had their own stories, uh, how they'd come into contact and um, wanted advice and support and wanted to back up what the kids were learning. So it's disappointing that we've got our opposition, the, the Liberal Party, constantly trying to attack us in this space, um, getting stuck into us for fighting for gender equality, saying that that has nothing to do with family violence. Clearly, they haven't read the outcomes of the Royal Commission, but also shows that they don't get it. They don't get what the drivers are. Um, their, their answers are to not commit to the Royal Commission findings um, and to um, try and uh, beef up the, um, the, the jail time for offenders, which at the end of the day, if you don't have women feeling safe enough to report or you don't have community change, then that, that's not going to answer anything. Well, I mean, increased jail time for someone who is, you know, doing something like that in broad daylight, you know, in a shopping centre, it's probably not the deterrent that, that's needed. No, it's not. Yeah. No. Um, to, to move into uh, the, the broader uh, parts of, uh, of women's empowerment and education, which is something that you drive uh, as the Minister for Women yep. um, in the government, um, I mean, I uh, globally... Uh, the effect that that we've seen on on an entire society, uh, you know, when girls and women are educated um, in just yeah. about every respect, that that um, that society improves uh, because th those those benefits are shared with with children, family, uh, you know, partners. Um, there are two things that stand out for me um, that will help women in Victoria: portable long service leave. Yep. Um, and priority fee-free TAFE courses, yep. um, many of which are not in um, what we would think of as, as typical male-dominated industries, actually a, a really um, broad spread of, um, of industries and trades across a, a whole range of different types of skills and different types of workplaces. Um, what do you expect will be the positive effects from those measures and, and can you suggest to us what are the other positive steps that come out of your work as Minister for Women? Well, I think one of the things that um, drove me into politics was the gender pay gap and um, the kind of unfair treatment that women got at work when I first entered the workforce. Um, I you know, didn't believe it when I was at school. Then when I got into the workforce, I, I just couldn't believe um, 
that you know I was working in environments where women were paid less than men women were never getting offered the overtime women were never getting offered the, the permanent jobs um, and uh, sometimes women were experiencing sexual harassment in the workplace that their male colleagues just wouldn't stand up um, and uh, assist with and nor did they ever experience themselves so look unfortunately they're all still issues today um, as opposed to you know 20 years ago I think some of the protections in law have gotten better but I think some of the enforcement still needs a way to go um, in terms of uh, uh, the portable long service leave this was something that we uh, took pretty seriously because there were uh, you know over women overrepresented um, in the majority of, of casual and um, insecure work and the sectors in particular like cleaning um, the cleaning sector and also community services. We see women working in the same jobs, sometimes in the same buildings, but because the contract changes hands a number of times, uh, the person loses all their entitlements um, and has to start again with a new company. And um, quite frankly, there's a lot of women, uh, particularly in cleaning, who have never been able to take long service leave despite being in the job 25, 30 years. And so what we wanted to do is make that fairer for women um, and fairer for workers in, in the, the sector of cleaning and also in community services, also security, to make sure that they had the same entitlements that everyone else was getting in terms of being able to have some long service leave when, when they were due to. So it's a big step forward. It means that um, women that work in those sectors will um, be able to take that paid break uh, longer term. And, and on that, because uh, for, for those listening, they're probably completely in agreement that, that, of course, there's an inherent systemic injustice to people on contract labour doing, yep. you know, huge numbers of hours, huge numbers of years in the same job and then not having the protection of a permanent ongoing, uh, you know, position that you might have in a in, in more, uh, you know, established, uh, you know, workplaces or something that, that is, you know, sort of more managerial positions, etc. But what were, the, what were the Liberals saying? Uh, what were their justifications for opposing those sorts of measures? Um, and, and what, I mean, they typically say things like that, you know, I said, um, painting anybody who, who might be claiming long service leave as, as being um, somehow dishonest or that, that they're going to come in and, you know, and manipulate the system. You know what, what? What were their uh, what were their what was their reception to that? Oh, I think to all the changes we've made, that the reception's been the same, and that is to oppose it every mm. step of the way in terms of any reform we want to make in the industrial relations space. And it's mm. almost like they double down when it's uh, directly affecting uh, or benefiting women. Mm. Um, but certainly, they oppose the long service leave changes and the portable long service leave introduction. Um, of that bill because they are basically funded by the big employers, the big end of town. They didn't want to see um, some of their mates uh, having to pay out more entitlements or an additional entitlement that for many years they've been able to get away without having to, to do. And same comes with the licensing of labour hire. Um, they've said that somehow this is going to cost thousands of jobs and the reality is, is that it's actually going to promote um, more jobs in, in the main over the time that uh, we introduce it because it'll give more security uh, to those employers that are looking to get good labour hire rather than um, shonky sham contract arrangements that 
let them down and let down the workforce as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's disappointing. I mean, it's typical, but it's disappointing because I just I can't understand how you could justify that, as you say, that the, someone who's worked in the same building for years, doing the same job for years, and just happens to have the misfortune of being in a uh, revolving door of, of, of contracts, contracts yep. uh, is entitled to much less than somebody who happens to have that ongoing position. Yep. And even in the last week, having the discussion publicly um, on Talkback Radio and in other forums about um, the unpaid work that women do, having mm. to balance that against, you know, and caring for a family in the main, uh, against t- trying to work full-time or trying to be in full-time employment, um, you know, there's still a lot of right-wing commentators out there and plenty of pe- people in the Liberal Party and State Parliament that um, don't think that there is a gender pay gap um, and want to argue against against that. And the realities are is that all all the research by, you know, I could name 10 universities that have done individual pieces of research, but also um, federal agencies that have done research that show that we do have uh, gender segregation across various industries and um, we certainly have a pay gap of around $244 on average when you compare full-time male workers to full-time female workers. And that gap gets bigger when you look at um, women in insecure work or casual work. So we've still got a long way to go. I do think the state government has a role to play in this field uh, in shaping policy that can assist both employers and employees to deliver a better balanced workplace. Yeah, the, uh, the gender pay gap gets a good workout among the uh, internet trolls as well, not just the, right, the, the right-wing commentators uh, seem to have devolved their responsibility to a bunch of nameless, <laughs> nameless Nicola, I didn't warriors. know what real trolling and <laughs> abuse was online until I took on the women's portfolio. Oh and then there are seriously keywords that when you put a comment in or you, you do a post and it has gender equality or it talks about gender pay gap, you have the same old people getting on and being very abusive and making threats and there's nothing else like it you know for someone who's been in politics for so long I've not seen that sort of absolute vile kind of language um, other than the the men that are part of the men's right action groups yeah, yeah. And, and so forth uh, it's a uh, it's, it's pretty awful <laughs> it's, it is awful to read it, it... Anyway, I love it though when I see my male colleagues having a go back at those sort of comments and yeah. and setting the record straight. It's well, fantastic. The, it's it's it is the spiral, the, the troll spiral. You have to sort of stand back every so often. And yeah, I'd never get any real work done if I if I just concentrated on those. Um, now moving to Aboriginal affairs because that's another of your portfolios. Um, some pretty significant uh, steps were taken uh, uh, towards a treaty. Um, tell us where that's at, what happens next, and, um, and you know, what, what the national picture is in that regards too would be great to hear. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud that um, the Victorian government has led the way on this. And in, in the first few weeks of me being minister almost four years ago now, I had the opportunity to go out and meet with traditional owner groups all over Victoria and meet with leaders across the Aboriginal community who we did not finish a single conversation without them raising the issue of treaty. And uh, there wasn't a lot of appetite in Victoria for constitutional change, but a lot of appetite for treaty. And it was almost like the only sense of hope uh, for a future that I was getting feedback on from community. And so it was something that the the Premier embraced. And, uh, of course, we've come a long way since then, two and a half years of 
consultations. We've talked to just over 7,000 Aboriginal Victorians and engaged them in the process. And we've managed to pass the first um, bill, any uh, first piece of legislation to support a treaty out of any state, let alone the Commonwealth, mm. which would give us a process going forward. Um, unfortunately, the Liberals opposed this in the Parliament. The Liberal and National Parties opposed it uh, and didn't support it in the State Parliament. But, of course, we also... Bought, and they were arguing, this is a federal issue, this is a federal issue, except that you have a federal Liberal National Government that doesn't want to engage at all on this issue. Mm. And they uh, now seem to have almost dropped any pretense to even caring about that issue and we've, Canberra's got its own sort of little issues going on. Do you, uh, would they potentially be ki- trying to kill off any kind of treaty? Do they have that ability? Oh, um, look, I don't think they can challenge our, our moves forward here in Victoria. But, of course, we're up against issues like, you know, what do we do with, say, the Yorta Yorta who go across the Murray River into New South Wales, mm. um, the Gunjimara who do the same across the South Australian border. Like, we've got, um, you know, it, it does make sense to do a national treaty, but if mm. the national government doesn't have an appetite for it, mm. then we're going to do it here in Victoria, and we've committed to that. I think the issues that have come out of Canberra in the last week have been quite devastating for Aboriginal community um, with the vote that happened in Parliament was it yesterday or the day before in regards to it's okay to be white, mm. that motion put up by Pauline Hanson and supported in the Senate by the Liberal National Coalition. Um, there, there were a lot of Aboriginal leaders that are coming out at the moment saying that they are extremely um, disappointed in our federal parliament and, and the federal government at the moment and um, they're really copping a beating in, in social media circles over it. Oh, it was an extraordinary episode and to claim, to try to wash your hands of it yep. and say it was an administrative error when you're all tweeting how supportive you are of it. Yeah. It was a bloody train wreck. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, it brings me to a great opportunity for me to remind our listeners about our supportive sponsors. Uh, Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Australia's leading social justice law firm, have been fighting for your rights for nearly 100 years because they believe that fairness is a universal right, not just reserved for the chosen few. They know if one person is denied the right to be safe, to be free, to be heard or to be equal, everyone else's rights are at risk too. And that includes you. So whether it's returning stolen land, protecting new mums at work or demanding equality, all of which we've spoken about quite nicely today, (laughs) Morris Blackburn Lawyers helps shine a light on everyday injustices because who knows when your rights might be affected. Now that brings us to uh, finally your position as Minister for Industrial Relations. So what can Victoria do in this growing campaign of change the rules uh, with wage growth being so low that even some business groups are now critical uh, of low wage growth? Um, what what position can can we play um, as as a legislation um, uh, responsibility um, for for that kind of because we don't have the industrial relations powers no, that. that other states do. So tell us about that. And look, I've heard um, loud and clearly from um, employers across the state who say, we don't want two tiers of um, the haves and haves nots in the workforce. We want to make sure people are all paid according to what the, the rules say, which is uh, the minimum wages and conditions that people are paid. But because of contracting out, because of sham contracting, um, some employers are getting away with not having to pay appropriately. And also it's it's creating a workforce that are prepared uh, to do or, or desperate to do work um, at a lower rate than what the minimum wage or the minimum rights are in that 
particular sector. So it is time for us to make sure that we're changing those rules and lobbying at a federal level. But at a state level, there's been quite a few things we're being able to do, and that is to fight to protect um, penalty rates where we can and the cuts to penalty rates, and also um, be pretty loud and proud of our submissions around the minimum rates uh, increases on a yearly basis and not, not being shy as a government to come forward and say this is what the lowest paid de uh, de deserve uh, in their in keeping their head above water within their own homes. And we know that, you know, when, when working people are paid a living wage, it boosts our economy. And um, I think we've got a long way to go. I'm really happy that the union movement here in Victoria is organising a rally next week. Australia needs a pay rise rally on the 23rd and look forward to it going myself. Um, we have been really concerned about the growth of the gig economy here in Victoria and its uh, deregulation. So we've announced an inquiry into the on-demand industry. So, you know, that's picking up the phone and, and getting your, your meals delivered to home, whether that's through Uber or um, other uh, home delivery places or, or actually getting freight moved, things like that. We know that this area of employment is about to boom and it's already booming, um, but it's even going to get bigger with the home delivery um, growth of supermarkets um, expanding into that area. And we want to make sure that the people working in those areas are not being ripped off and are being supported and, and are being safe because unfortunately some of them have already lost their lives uh, on the roads due to, due to sub standard kind of contracts that they're working under. And what are the major, I mean obviously that's a major one, losing your life due to unsafe conditions, uh, what are the other uh, sorts of uh, um, perils of working in that emerging uh, temporary gig economy that you Oh seen? look we already know people are severely underpaid, um, they're being forced into arrangements of being on ABNs, um, supplying their own either bike or car or van, um, not being compensated for that, um, being told that they're independent contractors but really not even being paid the minimum wage and you know not understanding in some cases what the tax system is here in Australia and that when you get an ABN and if you earn over a certain amount you're going to have to have paid some tax um, which people are just not educated in in some realms and also they're missing out on the protections of um, work cover premiums and also superannuation and you know some people take on these roles in the gig economy digital economy thinking I'll do it just for a few months and end up staying for a, a couple of years or even longer and they've been underpaid and you know they're not going to retire with anything. Mm. The other one that's emerged again, it's a, at this campaign that has uh, come um, out of incidences that have been reported and people have got on onto that news quite quickly, and that is the wage theft. That's especially that that that's happened in the hospitality yep. um, uh, industry, and and I think it's been a wake up call for people who frequent cafes and assume everything's tickety boo, yep. and then finding out oh that place I really loved going to turns out they were not paying anybody or paying them weeks later and thousands yep. of dollars was owed uh, where does that come from and what kind of what kind you know how does such a thing emerge 
so systemically in some of those those um, uh, outlets and what, what has to be done to make sure that that kind of behavior is is not accepted or not got away with oh well I'm really pleased to say that we've got a policy we're taking to the election around wages theft and mm -hmm. um, making it illegal and enforcing fines and some new legislation if we're to win the gov win government again um, we'll get on with doing that um, as a priority because unfortunately there are just way too many people out there and too many stories I can't you know every single street stall every time I'm out in the community in my own area this is one of the number one issues people are raising with me oh my daughter you know got a few hours work here she's never seen a dollar out of that work or you know another story of a guy who worked somewhere for four months and didn't get paid kept being you know told he was going to be owed 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 that he was a contractor and then found that he had very little recourse to try and get the money back and had you know had to prove and get evidence that he worked there because he never got a pay slip so these are all the things that you know they're just pure wages theft and unfortunately yes we are seeing it on the rise in hospitality in some of our top restaurants in some of our local cafes you know you can guarantee any cafe you know one in three that you'll you'll have that situation why has this come about um, because we haven't had a lot of enforcement uh, around the rules that are there federally um, but also we've had a high casualization of those workforces so people feel that they can't speak up or they won't get rostered on again and it's that insecure work that plays a huge role in people's fears around this um, well, we are almost at the at the end, but we um, of this episode. But we do want to thank you um, so much for all the work that you're doing in those in those critical areas, um, because the, uh, that I think is why we are here. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, yeah. All of that uh, you seem to be immersed in in uh, you know um, combating inequality. It sounds fighting for good. Indeed. No. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Pot on the Hill, which was proudly brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers, um, Australia's leading social justice law firm, fighting for fair since 1919. Now, what I have to do with um, the end of the podcast is to give you your fast money round. Ooh, fast money. I know, it's the most exciting part. It's actually the part some guests, the only part the guests enjoy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we want to encourage uh, everyone to take part in our Vote for Women campaign activities, which, as I mentioned, goes to thisislabor.org slash find-and-event uh, and find the Women's Organising Network icon. Uh, now, your lightning round questions, which are for fun. You said on your previous appearance on Pot on the Hill. Uh-oh. I know. What did I say? <laughs> uh, we, we actually did review your answers and we were going to test you to see if you Oof. remembered, but no, we're not going to do that. That'd be boring. I still have the longest flushing toilet in any, you know, hemisphere that uh, <laughs> exists in my office. And was that a question we asked? Yeah, and Donnelly's, uh, Stephen Donnelly's brother was the plumber that installed the toilet. That oh, was... <laughs> really? Wow, you guys really segued in the lightning round last time. I, uh, I, we're not going to toilets. Uh, that's, that's, off, that's off the dial. Um, but you did say on your previous appearance that Veep, was the truest political depiction out, oh, of, yeah. the, out of the uh, um, the selections. But in this period of the campaign, would you update that preference, maybe including The Good Place or even The Bachelor? Is it still V? <laughs> uh, I reckon Married at First Sight, actually. <laughs> I have ha happily never seen that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty trashy. <laughs> Um, you also spoke about Parks and Rec. Um, yep. Uh, what, so which character are you? That was a question that... that Stephen didn't ask you when you were his guest last time, but uh, he did mention it. 
Who's the Parks and Rec? I'm being told that I'm reminded of Leslie, but I don't know. (laughs) Every politician would probably have to choose Leslie. Yeah. But that's maybe a bit unfair because she's not the the best character. No, she's not the best character. No. I don't know. I'm I'm happy to take suggestions on (laughs) on that. That's all right. No, that's okay. You can go with Leslie. Um, Next question. Which fake health-conscious drink do you prefer, Coke Zero or Diet Coke? Oh, DC all the way. DC all the way. <laughs> um, this one's a very political question. Favourite level crossing removal project oh, of the government? Easy peasy. That's uh, Melton Highway level crossing in my electorate. Beautiful answer and not at all predictable. Where people told me to build a bridge and get over it and that's exactly what we did. <laughs> um, home and away or neighbours? Oh, neighbours. Neighbours, yeah. But did you see the news that they're, they're, um, they're building a country practice back up again? It's going to be a thing again. No, really. Apparently. Yeah. I I haven't clicked on the article. I've only seen... I've got to say, I haven't watched either Neighbours or like Home and Away for like they're maybe trash. 20 years. Stick, but with, as stick a... with Married at First Sight. I'm sure it's much better. Better character <laughs> as development. As a kid, <laughs> we, we, in our household, we used to watch Neighbours. Uh, now, final question. Your son is at the peak age for action and superhero films. Yes. So is it Marvel or DC for you? Or maybe you've got a favourite action hero character already. Oh, definitely Wonder Woman. She's oh, my she's my hero. Excellent. <laughs> she's absolutely my hero. But we do do a lot of Batman in my house. A lot. Batman. Yeah. We're, we're all about the Marvel, apparently. I can't choose between Marvel and DC. I love both them. I love all the movies. Um, I didn't used to, but having, having a kid <laughs> that's really into it, yeah. I've got not much choice. I, I get to DC, bleh, Marvel, Marvel's the best. Oh, okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> It seems like a false dichotomy to me, but that's yeah. great. Yeah, people say that about factions. So. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel or DC faction? Yeah. <laughs> Are you Marvel? Is your faction Marvel or is it DC? I think I might be Marvel, but I think my son might be DC, so there you go. Um, thank you for, for coming on today, Natalie. Good, thank you. Good luck on the campaign. Thanks for all the work. Uh, remember, the best way to get the latest episode every week is to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast app. Don't forget to tell your friends about it. Uh, share the link for Pot on the Hill. Uh, episodes on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, For all the latest Labour news, be sure to follow Victorian Labour on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy the song of the week for the election countdown. It is Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones. Great song. And don't forget to sign up for the campaign at thisislabour.org slash volunteer.